The Comic Relief Podcast is an unscripted discussion about the pop culture surrounding comic books with your host, Uncanny Thomas Logue, and Astonishing Amy Logue. Hello, everyone. We're here to do the next episode of the Comic Relief Podcast. It has actually been a year since we've done a podcast. Uh, today, I have a special guest. It's my wife, Amy. Uh, my partner in crime, Mighty Michael Moreno, is actually on vacation, uh, probably somewhere in Mexico enjoying life. So we're going to go over a few things. We're not going to go over everything that's happened in the year because that would be way too much and probably pretty boring. So we're just going to hit up on a few quick things. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about real quick is the Netflix shows like Daredevil, Luke Cage, uh, Jessica Jones, Iron oh, yeah. Fist. I know. I just want to say that they have all been canceled, as everyone's heard, and there is a rumor that they'll end up on the Disney streaming service, hmm. which would actually be cool. It would convince me to possibly get the Disney streaming service, because if they keep the same actors, I'd be interested. If they recast them all, I'm probably not going to be interested. Have you heard anything about that? Because you usually have some insight. I have not heard anything about that. Thank you. That's all you have to add? Yeah. After all that? That was a great setup to nothing. <laughs> all right. Very cool. Next, we're going to talk about, real quick, I'm going to skip the point number two and go to the third point. Why? Which, hold on. We'll get back to it. Okay. We're going to go to the third point on my little list here. We're going to talk about San Diego Comic Fest. Um, this year, I was invited to a panel to mm. talk about um, toys um, and animation and how they tie hand in hand. Toys that made us. Yes, and that's that's why I was invited, because Matt Dunford of the San Diego Comic Fest was like, hey, you were on the toys that made us, I want you on this panel. And I was like, Matt, I was only on it for like a whole three seconds of basically the guy who played He-Man during the power tour punching me in the face as I stood next to the woman who played She-Ra. And he said, no, no, that's fine, that's fine. And so when I looked at the list of people I was sitting with, uh, the two names I did not immediately recognize... Then we sat down, and TJ from Super 7 uh, went ahead and was like, let's do introductions. And we started off with the first guy, who went ahead and was like, oh, I worked on animation on, like, Thunder the Barbarian mm -hmm. and everything from that area of stuff. Next guy over basically did the <laughs> 90s Spider-Man. That's Moxie, that our Corgi. Moxie's not the one who did the 90s Spider-Man. Well, but saying, the barking but was Moxie. Barking. <laughs> Um, and then it came to me, and I was like, I have not done any form of animation like that. I'm just here to be a fan. <laughs> and TJ did a really good job of using me as as that fan input. Um, so it was a lot of fun. What do you think, since you were there recording it? I thought it was really cool that like he was able to interact like you with everything else. Because that one guy, though, I get that he's done a lot of stuff, but he was Buzz. really like into himself well he's been doing animations for a long time like he literally said i probably wrote your childhood and it's kind of true because he did a bunch of the i believe the company was called sunglow or sunblow basically sunblow yeah i don't know it's something okay, like that but... it's the company that basically did thunder the barbarian also yeah i mean he line. was pretty cool but i like the way that tj just kind of like weaved it in so yeah. everyone had a chance to yeah. like participate which is nice yeah i agree because once the, once the first two guys introduced themselves i was at the end thinking what the f am i doing here like why am i at this thing like yeah. i should be on the other side of the table you have no sun blow 
Ruby Spears. Oh, so that was Ruby Spears. Not even near Sunblow. Ruby Spears? <laughs> Sunblow? So that was the San Diego Comic Fest. I actually... I think you did a really good job. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm not paying I mean, paying that's not just say that. saying the fact that, that you're my husband. <laughs> no, I had a really good time. And then I got to talk to TJ afterwards, which was also very nice because Super 7, whether you know it or not, does a bunch of He-Man stuff. And if you don't know it, one of my other favorite conventions to go to is PowerCon, which mm, is the... I do. The heat. I know you know, but our, our 3,000 million listeners, or maybe just three listeners, may not know this, but I am a big He-Man fan. I love going to PowerCon. I typically get like the PowerCon shirts that are there. I always want to buy those power, the old He-Man figures, but I never do because I actually have no room for them. I, I have an entire wall right now dedicated to He-Man figures, though. Your dream is if I got a job at Super, Super 7. Super 7. That would be amazing. Yes. So, TJ, if you're listening and you need someone who is really good at sales, my wife is Amy Logue, and you can hit her up through me and get her a job at Super 7. I would appreciate yeah, it. because all I've done is sold Star Wars toys. <laughs> I know. Exactly. And now you can sell He-Man toys and get me a cool discount. But TJ did say after I spoke with him, like, hey, if you ever come by Super 7, let me know. I'll, I'll set you up. So that was really nice also. So next we're going to go to... Something I think you might have some input on. Captain Marvel. It was much better than I thought it would be. Why, okay, why do you say you th- it was much better than you thought? Like, did you not think it was going to be good? Like, has Marvel had a history of not making good movies? No, I just, I, I think being a female and being empowered, like, you don't realize, like, how much it would mean to you to have a female star that was, um, you know, is bad. Yeah, and let's let's face it. Like the in the beginning of the movie, they kind of go. It was a little slow. Yeah, and they kind of go back and forth with her trying to figure out who she is. Like you, you don't understand why they're going through this like whole confusing state of Carol's mind. Well, and let's be real. For the first like what twenty minutes, I kept on bugging you. I'm like, yeah. what's going on? I don't understand. Yeah. What's going on? And what's very different for the Captain Marvel movie versus the comic is they completely changed Captain Marvel's origin. So having your comic book knowledge of who uh, Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, Karen Carol is, doesn't really help in the movie too much other than you know she is going to become Captain Marvel or that she was Miss Marvel mm-hmm. or that she has part Kree in her. But the, the beginning of the movie, they kind of do this wishy-washy kind of back and forth of things are happening to her and she keeps seeing herself falling and getting back up. And that, I think, in the beginning is kind of confusing, but it also lays the groundwork of the movie of you knock her down and the first thing she does is get back up. And I felt like the movie was like a slow burn. Like, it got better and better yeah. as the movie went yeah. through. It like Like, it at escalated. the end, it was very good. Yeah. They definitely, like, started it off slow with that back and forth and then by the end, you see her decimating and kicking ass. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't wait to see her in Endgame. Yeah, and so that's why I wanted to save the Endgame portion to now, because if you stayed for the Stinger, which by now, 10 years of watching Marvel movies, you should know that there's always two Stingers. They do the first one and then the second one. And in the first Stinger, they're, they show you know the Avengers and trying to power up Nick Fury's pager, and they're like, hey, you know, it's running out of battery power, keep boosting the signal, do whatever it takes. And at the very end, Miss Marvel shows up, sorry, Captain Marvel shows up, and is like, where's Nick Fury? Mm-hmm. So they set her up to be an endgame, definitely. She definitely is a badass. 
Yeah. Something I thought that was really interesting in the Captain Marvel movie that is different than Marvel also is typically in the Marvel comics, the scrolls are always the bad guys. The green dudes that mm-hmm. shape change. Mm-hmm. They're always the bad guys. Like from their introduction from Fantastic Four, every time they showed up, they were bad guys. And the Kree were always like kind of questionable. They could be good. They can be bad. It depends on what they wanted. They're pretty bad. Well, that's what I'm saying. In this movie, they flipped it. So the entire time throughout the whole Captain Marvel movie, I was waiting for the scrolls to turn on them. And then they brought in, like, the scroll family. Oh, spoilers, by the way, if you haven't seen the movie. If you haven't Sorry, seen it. Sorry, spoiler, spoiler, <laughs> spoiler, you, babe. If you've not seen it, you should go see it. And you're living under a rock because it's an amazing movie. But going back to the scroll thing. Judgy. I know. I am judgy. But going back to the scroll thing is, like, I kept waiting for them to betray Captain Marvel and the, and that whole but thing. But then they brought in like the family, and I was like, "Oh, that's gonna be super awkward if they if they betray them now, because now there's like baby scrolls involved, <laughs> and like like the wife is there." And I was like, "This is gonna be a really weird betrayal." And and in the end, they don't. The scrolls are actually portrayed as as good guys, nice and guys. I, yeah, and I thought that was a pretty cool twist to show because everyone who's there like me, who has that comic book history, is waiting for that betrayal. And it actually never comes because they're actually shown as good people. (laughs) So what were some other things that you liked about Captain Marvel? I actually really like the actress, too. Brie Larson. I think she did a really good job. She did? And I like Nick Fury. I mean, not like I don't like Nick Fury, but I actually like Nick Fury in this iteration of him. Yeah. Because, you know, he's just becoming a badass. Yeah. And he's relatable a little bit. Whereas yeah. in the other movies before, he wasn't as relatable because he knew he was a badass. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. I think one of the cool things with this movie that they did with Nick Fury is they also made him kind of funny mm-hmm. with everything with the cat and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That his relationship with Goose, which is a flurkin, a, um, it's not actually a domesticated normal cat. It's a space cat that it's kind of looks like, that looks like a normal cat. And, uh... The relationship he has with that cat is actually pretty funny. There's a scene where they do something very similar to what we've seen with Groot, where he extends all his mm-hmm. arms and stuff. But from the flurkin, it comes out of its mouth. And it grabs a bunch of the Kree and, like, slams them around and stuff like that. And he freaks out, like, whoa! And then later on, like, the Kree catch up to him, and he's holding the flurkin, and he goes, oh, yeah, do it again! And the cat just meows. So I thought that was really funny. They had a lot of comedy moments with Nick Fury that makes him a little more approachable. Relatable. Yeah, more approachable, yeah, like you were sure. saying. One of my... Speaking of Nick Fury, um, I just want to go back real quick. One of my favorite moments uh, actually ties sort of to Nick Fury is when we see um, Coulson. 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 Agent Coulson. Yeah. So so it's Agent Coulson coming out of Blockbuster like, hey, I came out and you guys were all gone. And Nick Fury's in the car with Agent Coulson, who is a scroll. And he's like, oh, really? And then they do that whole scene right there. I thought that was pretty funny. That was a pretty funny moment. I, I really do like the movie, and I would actually say that anybody who has, like, a daughter or something should probably take them to see the movie. I agree. It's very empowering, and um, it makes you feel, you know, good at, like, this weird time in our lives. Yeah, I agree. It was very cool. For example, Black Panther showcased an African-American as the main star, and a bunch of um, African-American females also. Um, Amazing. Yeah, T'Challa's guards. Now we also see a woman now take the main stage and become a badass mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's very cool what marvel's been doing with that other cool stuff okay about captain marvel is captain marvel's best friend um the other pilot who is african-american her daughter is named monica and the last name is rembo i don't know if i don't know if i'm pronouncing it correctly if you remember i don't remember 
But Monica Rambeau in comics eventually grows up to be, she takes up the name Captain Marvel, unrelated to the Kree or anything like that. She grows up to be superpowered also and takes up the name Captain Marvel. And there's a scene in there near the end where um, Monica is like, I want to be just like Aunt Carol and stuff like that. And Nick Fury says, maybe one day you'll be made of light and be able to do it. And that's exactly Monica's power. She can take up like different spectrums of light and stuff like that. So it was a nice little nod to people who knew uh, who Monica would actually become in comics. So there was a lot of cool nods like that. Marvel always does that. But I thought this one had a lot of great nods like that. And like I said, one of the cool things about this movie was they did show in the beginning Captain Marvel or uh, Carol being knocked down in, in her flashbacks. No matter what she went through, she always got back up. And that was kind of the theme of this whole movie is the Kree, as I said, turn out to be the bad guys and basically knock her down, like kind of like beat her down and she gets back up and takes him down for it. That's like the Chubbawamba song. I get knocked down, but I, I get, get up, up again. again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else to add for no, the whole thing? So excellent movie. Definitely go out and go see it. It's amazing it's empowering for women it's a good movie it's an entertaining movie it does take place in the past which i thought was also kind of cool is they do a bunch of references like they did the blockbuster video um brie larson is seen wearing a nine inch nails shirt and like total grunge like um sweatshirt around her waist and stuff like that so she looks very 90s grunge i think she's gonna be a big part in endgame so do i so do i I hope she is a big part of Endgame. She should be the game changer in that game, in that movie. All right, so next we're going to James Gunn. Yeah, so as we all know, James Gunn was fired from Guardians of the Galaxy 3 over some things he said on Twitter, whatever, 5, 10, 15 years ago. Um, Somehow it surfaced up because some right-wing nut was like, look at all this crappy, he said. And so Disney was like, ah, you know what, that was some pretty shady stuff. We're going to cut ties with you. And they released James Gunn. All of the actors from Guardians of the Galaxy stood behind him and were like, I don't want to do this movie if it's not him. And there was there was a, a big question as to who was going to do Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Uh, a few weeks ago, they announced that James Gunn is back on Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I know. So, so that is... That is good. I think that's going to be a good thing because he knew those characters. He knew the movie. The first two were good. I mean, I had some of my problems with the second one. But they were good movies. So I think him being back on Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going to be great. He's also still doing Suicide Squad. I know. I, I definitely am excited to have him back in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. But I do feel like, in my personal opinion, like it's funny how greed can kind of take over. Greed. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that, like, everyone knows that everyone wants James Gunn on it, you know? And everyone else is going to do it, it's going to bomb. Yeah. It really is. And so it's like, where is the line in the fact of, like, Disney saying, like, okay, we're going to put a stand to this, but not this. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like... I agree with them. I think James Gunn should be on it, but they should have never took him off it in the first place. Yeah, I get it, but it was sort of a knee-jerk reaction because it was very publicized about some of the shady things he did say. And some of it, I mean, I read some of those tweets that he supposedly said, and it's pretty crappy. I it mean, is he said, pretty he crappy. He said some crappy stuff. It is pretty crappy, but it's like... But that was what, a long did that, time ago. Did that negate the fact that all of a sudden now he's back on it? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think the realization is that, yeah... If it's not him, we don't have anyone that's going to do it as well. Because people are he gonna 
Owns it. Yeah. It's like his baby. And I think Disney could always use the excuse of, you know, it was 10 years ago that you said this. You are a different person. And that's what he tweeted. He did say, you know, I apologize. This was me 10 years ago. I was saying crass things mm-hmm. just just to get a knee-jerk reaction. Never met any of it. So. so I am curious that he is doing Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and he is still slated to do Suicide Squad 2. I think he'll turn Suicide Squad 2 into kind of a... Guardians of the Galaxy type movie. Kind of like a funny... Because... Kind of like banter type movie. Well, they're filming it right now. Yeah. I sort of skipped over it after the Captain Marvel thing. But we've seen the Avengers Endgame trailer. We kind of have a clue of what's happening. What do you think? I am, like, just... I'm... Ready to cry. Ready to cry. (laughs) I'm just ready to cry. I know it's end of an era. Mm -hmm. I know things are going to go sideways. I know that people aren't going to be around anymore. But we spent years with these people. Yep. Ten years. Ten Ten years years. with these people. It's like a breakup. Oh, speaking of the ten year thing. Speak uh, away. Just to go back to Captain Marvel again. for the love. So the the ten year (laughs) intro or thing that they always do at the beginning of every Marvel movie where it's usually like the comic book flipping. (laughs) This, for the Captain Marvel thing, they did the Stan Lee uh, memorial thing. And so right from the get-go, the movie already had me in tears. Because that was like such see, like, I, It's tribute. like Stanley's last. Yes. Oh, and then going back to that also, there. I don't remember if I sent it to you. So, Stanley in the Captain Marvel movie is seen on the bus reading the script for Mallrats, which makes sense because Stanley in the 90s appeared in the Mallrats movie. Uh, did I show you the mm-hmm. Kevin Smith reaction video? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I can't remember who sent it to me. It was probably Maiko. Um, he sent me the Kevin Smith reaction video of Kevin Smith getting the call that, hey, is it cool if we use Mallrats as a reference into the movie? And he was like, oh, yeah, of course. And then he talked about how he went and saw it and was like in tears because he had always nodded to Marvel Comics and, you know, DC Comics, any type of comic book. And then to have Stan Lee nod back and then that be his last his last cameo thing. He was very, like in tears sweet. and I was in tears. Yeah, it was. I actually met Stan Lee. You did? Yeah, I remember at the GameStop show. Oh. I met him. He was a very sweet gentleman. I don't doubt it. He seems like the coolest guy in the world. He was very sweet. He took a picture with me. He signed an I signed he signed an autograph. I brought it back to you. No. Yes. No. Yeah. You gave it to someone else. Probably. No, no, I gave it to you. Did you put it on eBay? No. Whatever. Private conversation. But um <laughs> but anyway, Tom. um Yeah. He definitely Definitely is a sweet man, but towards the end, you can kind of tell like he was being kind of corralled by his people. His peeps. Yeah. All right. On Sorry. that sad Sorry. Note, <laughs> next, we're going to go into probably something Micah wishes he was here for because he was the one at work every week was like, have you seen Into the Spider-Verse? Have you seen Into the Spider-Verse? And I held back because when I saw the previews, I was like, it looks good, but I don't really care for the animation. So on a side note, I really didn't want to see it. Yeah, neither did I. I had no interest in seeing this movie. But I got a copy of the movie and we decided to sit down and watch it. And what did you think? I loved it. I was so overwhelmed with the fact that I would actually like it. Oh, look. Hold on. Poppy's calling. Hold on. Poppy's calling. Amy's thinking that Poppy's call is more important. Poppy? That's me. Uh, we're doing a podcast right now. You're Say on hi. it right now. Hi, podcast land. What are we talking about? We are talking currently about Into the Spider-Verse, but we just discussed Captain Marvel. Oh, it was so good. 
go ahead and hold it up again. So, what were what were some of your favorite moments of Captain Marvel, if if you remember? Oh yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, um, first of all, I love the soundtrack. Oh, good call. That's uh, something we yeah. didn't even discuss. Yeah. And the other thing that was really cool was um, like some of the some of the. Uh, like the fashion choices relative to the you know late 80s mid 90s yep um and then uh i think that um the whole business of captain marvel being a woman was rock solid i loved it very cool we were saying the same thing that it was kind of cool like in her flashbacks you see her over and over again she keeps getting knocked down but the key thing is she always got back up and the notion that the story of your life, you know, can be told by other people, like about how you're not enough or how you can't do something. What really characterized who she was was that she did keep getting up. And, and isn't that what a, a winner is or a victor or a, you know, a hero? Yeah, that's exactly it. How fun. Okay, um, I'm going to say goodbye. You can call me later, okay? All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Okay, bye, podcast land. <laughs> um, so that was Poppy. you guys don't know, Poppy's my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we were talking about Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, so didn't I loved it. it. Yeah. I didn't want to watch it. I loved it. I thought it was really just... I don't know, like all the different like Spider-Man iterations mm-hmm. and them coming together and like the... Uh, spoiler alert. It's too late. Like, but like the... Other Spider-Man being like lazy and a bum, and <laughs> I just I really liked I really liked the movie. And it I was, didn't think I would. It was really good. One of the main things that I liked is the dialogue. Mm-hmm. The dialogue was amazing. There's a scene, for example, where Miles Morales, who's the main guy in this, um, he's dropped off at school by his dad, who's a cop. And, he, you know, he kind of, like, walks up to the classroom. And then right when he gets to the door, you hear his dad over there. And he's like, ah, son, I love you. <laughs> you know, and he's like, dad. So it was just really cool. Some of the funny, 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 funny dialogue that they did. And they, they all the different Spider-Man, as you said, like, there is the Spider-Man from That's the Lazy Guy. There's a noir Spider-Man. There's Spider-Ham. There's, uh, There's the Spider girl, girl from Japan. Yeah. The, hi, Spider-Man. <laughs> So, I have to say, when we watched the movie, I figured out who the bad person was, and Tom didn't. Yeah, she did. I was like, that's so easy to figure out. And he's like, what? <laughs> and I should have known, because they make reference to um, basically Spider-Man 2099, the Alchemax company. And I was waiting the whole time, once they revealed all this stuff, to see Spider-Man 29, which is one of my favorite versions of Spider-Man. And he shows up at the very, very end as one of the, like the stingers. He throws on his glove, and then he jumps into the Spider-Man cartoon. It's it like, was, it's rude to point. No, you're pointing. It's good. It's a good movie. It is really, you need to see really it. good. Uh, yes, highly, highly recommended. Five stars. Five, definitely. And I, I regret that I waited so long to watch it, because I wish I could have been talking about it more to more people. Next, we're going to jump into WonderCon. Um, WonderCon was just this past weekend. I didn't go. Amy did not go. But, but I got a lightsaber, people. She did, with a purple blade. Well, let's just be real. I, quote, quotes, got a lightsaber, but mostly it was for you. Yeah, but it's because I have a yellow lightsaber with sound, so I bought a lightsaber for Amy that is exactly like mine, but purple. 
Though I've told him that purple's not my favorite color anymore, but he doesn't care. What's your favorite color now? Pink. It's kind of pink. No, it's not. All right, well, I'll order a new ultra No, saber. no, no, no. I have a purple lightsaber. It's super cool. What? You literally told me I can spend more than $1,000. $1,000. Do you want to say why? Like, what did you and Cecilia do? Um, I won $1,000 at the casino. But I worked for it. You worked for it. Really? I did. I sat at the tables. I worked for it. It wasn't like I just, like, spun money and got it. Like, I actually played blackjack. So you sat on your butt and I was working for it? I did. What did you do? I walked around for eight hours on my feet. But you didn't win any money. No, but I spent money. <laughs> so WonderCon was actually really, really cool. And the best part of WonderCon actually was not for me. It was actually for my best friend, Chuck. Uh, we got there Saturday morning, checked into the hotel. They, the room wasn't ready. So we just left everything in the car and went into WonderCon. And we got like the little program guide that they give you when you first walk in with my cool little professional badge that I get, not for the podcast, but for Never Ending Nights. You should go to neverendingnights.com, check out the videos, they're really, really funny. And as we were walking around, Chuck was looking at the program guide and he's like, oh crap, Joe Hill is signing. And if you don't know who Joe Hill is, he is the son of Stephen King, the famous- The son of Stephen King. Yeah, the famous uh, thriller writer. And he did not want to be known as Stephen King's son, so he took his middle name, because his name is Joe Hill King. So he goes by Joe Hill for his writing name, his pen name. And uh, so we're walking around, and we went over to the IDW booth where um, Joe Hill would be signing, and they're like, oh, we're already out of tickets. You know, we gave away like 50 tickets, blah, 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 blah. So we were walking around more and more, and we sat over at Starbucks at the hotel, and Chuck was like, I wonder if he's in this hotel. And no joke, no less than five minutes later, Joe Hill and his wife walk into Starbucks. And literally where our table is is right next to the line. So as Joe Hill looks around, Chuck makes eye contact and says, Hey, Joe. And Joe Hill's like, hey, how are you guys doing? Hope you're having a great time. It was pretty funny. So we were joking about like the whole stalking thing because Chuck like picked up his iPhone to take a picture, but then hesitated and put it down. And as Joe Hill and his wife left, he was like, I should have got a picture. So he was kicking himself about not taking a picture with him. So we walked around more uh, back in the con and saw Joe Hill and his wife walking around again. And I was like, go take a picture. And so I was like, no, no. So, no, no. <laughs> so later on, we go back and we head towards the IDW booth where Joe Hill's doing the autographs. And this is a little bit before he's doing the autographs. And he comes up just by himself, not with his wife. And he's talking to these guys. I was like, dude, go take a picture with him. Because I could tell Chuck was regretting that he didn't take the picture mm-hmm. before. And he's like, no, no, no. I was like, just give me your camera. So I walked over there. I was like, hey, Joe, do you mind if I take a picture of you? He's like, no, 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 do it. So I took a picture and he made like this like cool monster face. And I was like, you know what? Is it cool if I take a picture with you? And I was asking so that Chuck could take a picture with him, like set this up. And he's like, yeah, 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 let's do it. And he was like really cool about it. So we like did the arm in arm thing, like the selfie, and, like, ah, I made monster faces. And I walked back and Chuck was laughing. He's like, dude, I thought you were just going to sneak a picture in. I didn't know you were going to like ask him for a picture and then take a picture with him. I was like, I was testing the waters to see if like you could go over there and get a picture with him. And he's like, no, no, no. I mean, you know, it's too embarrassing. Are you going to post the picture? I did. It's actually on our Facebook page. If you go to facebook.com forward slash comic relief podcast, and it's also on comic relief podcast. I did a WonderCon report. And um, so finally, Joe Hill was like, kind of broke away from the guys he was talking to and started looking around at some of the books in the IDW booth. And Chuck gave me his phone. He was like, let's go get a picture now. So he finally got the courage to go take a picture and he took a picture with him. And from that moment on, you could tell like Chuck's whole day had turned around. Like he was lit up. He was happy. 
And so we asked about the overflow line for Joe Hill's autographs. And the guy was like, ah, you know, he has a hard stop at five. He has to be somewhere at five. But there was only one person at the end of the line. So, you know, you have end of the line. All those people are guaranteed in front. And then there was one person at past that. And I was like, just go stand in line, dude. And he's like, oh, he didn't say, you know, he said there's going to be no time. I was like, there's literally one person at the end of the line. So you would be the second person. And he's like, well, I don't have any books. And I was like, we're at the IDW booth. Like, go buy something. So Chuck went and bought something, stood in line. And, um... Like by 4.35, we were like five people away. And I was like, well, if his hard stop is five, we're going to get a signature. And I went ahead and bought the first book of Locked and Key um, from Joe Hill because I wanted to basically support him for being like such a great guy towards us letting him like take the pictures and mm-hmm. saying hi to us. And Chuck was telling me afterwards, like, you know, when he Chuck had his book signed, Chuck was like, hey, hey I'm the Starbucks guy. And then he goes, <laughs> he goes yeah, no, I remember <laughs> And then when I went up there and got I got mine signed because I was standing behind Chuck, um, he, he looked at me and goes, oh, we meet again. <laughs> so he's really, really cool. I was like so impressed. Like I've never read any of Joe Hill's books or his graphic novels, but just from that day alone, he made me a fan just of how, how nice and courteous he was towards us. So that was really, really, really cool. Great. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get when you meet someone um, yeah. who's famous. You yeah, don't know for if they're sure. going to be like, no, I don't have time. Or and if you want a picture, stand in the line. Sometimes you don't want to meet somebody that's famous because you don't want to burst your bubble. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean. You, you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes it's going to be that really, really cool person like Joe Hill was with us. Or you're going to get a really, really mean person, which has happened to me before back in the 80s when I met someone who I won't mention who was an editor for a comic called ElfQuest. <laughs> Richard Penny. Bad experience with Richard Penny when I first met him. Um, uh, he was he was not a nice. He was probably under a lot of stress. He had a broken foot, so you know there's probably a, a bunch of reasons. But when I initially met Richard Penny, it sort of burst my bubble. I met him many many years later, and everything was cool. So I think just that year between the broken leg and all that other stuff, sometimes it was just meet, a bad time to meet him. Sometimes when you meet like famous people, you don't know what you're gonna get. Like yeah. last year when I met, well, I was in Comic Con and I met the. People from The Walking Dead. Yeah. Like, they were so nice. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like, um, and I was really shocked at the, how, like, nice they were to take pictures with people and yeah. everything like that, you know? Because, you know, you just never know. Yeah, especially when they're probably constantly being berated by people. I know. To take pictures and stuff like that. When they still have that kind, courteous thing to say, yeah, 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 no, let's go ahead and do it. What else do we have? Oh, can we do Amy's Corner? Let's do Amy's Corner because we're only in 34 minutes, even though I have a thing to put at the end of this. What is Amy's Corner? Let's talk about Amy's um, Corner. Vanderpump Rules. Vanderpump <laughs> Rules. Let's okay. talk about Vanderpump okay, Rules. Okay, like... All right. Feel free to pause and carry on if you yeah, want. Yeah, you, you, can, you can fast forward this There is something at the very end, so hang on tight. But, but let's um, talk about Amy's Corner. So, okay. You guys think that Tom doesn't watch Vanderpump Rules, but he watches it every week with me. He I do. gets I mad. Watch, he gets mad Vanderpump. if I watch it without him. I always say I'm going to miss key storylines. Key storylines. <laughs> okay. So, which is a joke cuz so it's a reality la- TV show. It's amazing. So anyway, this last week they went to Mexico. Wait, have it? No. Yes. Have you seen that one? Yeah. We just watched it the other day. When remember when Tom and Katie were Oh, they were fighting. Okay, so I'm going to, like, go through... Swartz I, is the man. I'm going to give Tom... Schwartz? Schwartz. I'm going to give Tom, like, people, and he's going to give me what he thinks of them. Okay, go for it. Okay. Um, Shayna. Sheena. Get Sheena. it right. Sheena. Jesus Christ. It's her show, and she can't get it right. Sheena, very beautiful. Um, 
She always has like fake eyelashes. Very, very pretty though, but she's not my needy. favorite. She's not my favorite. She is needy. needy. Doesn't know how to be in a relationship and not a relationship. But she's she's okay. She's not she doesn't bother me. Okay. Like I have no she I don't love her and I don't hate her. Kristen. Kristen is absolutely crazy. Never travel with Kristen. I don't even know her personally, but I would never travel with Kristen. She's a, she's a wreck. She, uh, she, she all drinks over the a place. lot. She drinks all over the place. She picks the worst guys as boyfriends. Like between James and then the other dude that she's currently with. I can't remember the dude's name. Katie. Katie is probably my favorite in terms of beauty. I think Katie is the most beautiful of them. But in the most recent episode, she was way too needy with Swartz. <gasps> And kind of, like, she was like Tequila Katie again. Yeah, she kind of lost her Right? Okay. It's Katie. Oh, Brittany. Brittany. She's awesome. <laughs> she's so... She's uh, got an abundance of boobage. Um, well, Jax bought Jax that. paid for, yeah. Which is no surprise if you know Jax. Um, like I do. I know Jax personally. <laughs> uh, but Brittany's awesome. I love that she's like this country bumpkin girl. And she's like so optimistic and stuff like that. Stassi. Stassi? Stassi has gotten better. I didn't yeah, I used to so like Stassi, too. but Stassi has actually gotten really good. She's pretty. She's a blonde. She's with Amy's would-be boyfriend, if I didn't <gasps> I exist. I love Bo. Yeah, so Amy um, loves Bo. Uh, which Lala. Is, Lala, I can't stand. I've never actually liked Lala. Like, she thinks she's more than she is, is my problem with Lala. Like, she thinks she's a 10, but her personality makes her, like, a 2. Billy. Billy. Billy, the transgender person, mm-hmm. right? Billy... Like, there was, like, last season, Billy was okay, but this season, Billy She's seems kind of off the rocker. Right? Yeah, she seems yeah. off the rocker. Like, I'm All trying right. to be on the show more. All right, so we're going to go through the boys. Jax. Jax. Jax is the dude that'll sleep with anything, but not anymore. Not now that he's with... He's, like, so scared, right? Because yeah, he's with he's Brittany. With <laughs> Brittany, he seems to have finally calmed down. He did cheat on Brittany once, and they have reconciled that, and now he's, like, straight what, what narrow guy. What did she guy. say? She's like, this is a, not a democracy, this is a Britnocracy. Yeah, Britnocracy or something like that. Um, Schwartz. Schwartz is the one I'm in love you with. You love Schwartz. Schwartz is the most attractive. He's the funniest guy. He's got it together he's hilarious so schwartz is the man like i literally watch the show just to see what schwartz does sandoval sandoval is the guy who's prettier than every other guy he has all I his lotions his sprays. Like, i love gloves yeah <laughs> that was pretty funny but yeah sandoval is the guy who like dresses and has more makeup than the women james james is james was the eh, uh, most of every time he appears, but he seems to be trying to get better. But he keeps he always flips back though. Oh my god! He gosh. always goes back to being there. James's girlfriend, Bambi eyed. Oh, she's pretty though. It's but just she's a, a shame like... that she doesn't have the tough skin that everyone else on that show is. She's not crazy like she's everyone else. She's not ready for it. Yeah. I'm not ready. I think she's on there honestly to promote her modeling career. Yeah, Bo. You already talked about Bo. What do you think about Bo? He's a good guy. But I mean, if I was dead, you would try to get Bo. <laughs> I don't see you rolling up in a dino suit. <laughs> I'll get a dino suit if that's what turns you on. <laughs> anyway, oh, Lisa. Lisa is the owner of Sir and, uh, and Pump Tom, Pump and, and Tom Tom. And... She's beautiful. She is a beautiful, beautiful um, older woman. She is gorgeous. Um, extremely nice. I think she's very, very fair. In terms of how she deals with everyone, too. She tries to keep everything, like, down the middle. I know. 
So anyway, that's Amy's corner because I'm totally into Vanderpump Rules, and so is Tom. Even that's a good show. No, I said I, I watch Vanderpump. I'll admit to that. But the whole joke about missing key story elements is is a joke. It, I mean, because <laughs> it's a reality show, so there's no real storyline. Ooh, while we're talking about shows and off the topic of stuff, what do you think about the news of next season as the last season of Supernatural? I am really happy for them because they're going to make, okay, A, they're going to make a ton of money on reruns, they are, I think they right? already make money. They're making a ton of money on reruns. And two, Jensen has his, like, um, brewery. It's called The Family Business. Right. And then... Which um, is in Austin, which we need to go to since I have family in Austin. Correct. Well, it's not, not really been... in Austin. It's outside of Austin. It's like 45 minutes outside of Austin. So what? It's Austin. But anyway, and then... Um, they're still best friends. Yes. They still hang out. Like, I think it's, I think they're getting to a point where, like, their kids are getting older and they want to be there with their kids. Versus and their being wives. in Canada filming. Right, in Vancouver or whatever. But I think it's going to be really super sad at the end of the day. And let's just be real. I mean, you probably, you guys probably don't know this, but I still have that episode of Supernatural on our DVR because it makes me cry. Which episode is, what is it that makes you cry? Do you remember what it was? Well, when the whole, all four of them get back together. The family? Yeah. With the dad and the uh-huh. mom? You have to explain all four of them. I you know. can't just say all four of them. I know. It just Because that can be sad. Bobby and everyone else. No, it just makes me, like, a little sad because I wish they were together, you know? Yeah. But, but I'm excited for them. We have one more season left, so it's not like they're stopping. But I do, I don't know if you feel this way, but do you guys kind of feel like right now, like, everything's ending? Oh, like, for TV shows? Like, Supernatural's ending, Big Bang's ending, Modern Family's going to go for another season, I think, right? It's like, I feel like everything's just coming to a yeah. close. Well, they're all, all three of those shows are all three very, very successful shows that are all on syndication anyway, so they yeah. probably all make money. Yeah. Well, also... But Supernatural has like 15 seasons, 14 seasons so far under its belt, and 15th is going to be the last one. But you knew it was going to come. Oh, yeah. I mean, I knew. And then um, there was a Instagram video of um, Jared Pakalaki. How do you you say his last name? Padalaki. Padalaki. Then Jensen Nichols and then Misha Collins, where they're talking about how they just made the announcement to the crew that, hey, the next season is going to be the final season. No joke. No nothing. And they're like, we said we'd be cool, that we're not going to cry in this video. And then he's like, he's barely holding it together. And like, Jared Berlocki's like, <laughs> like, just about to lose I mean, you're it. Because like, he's like, such spent a like guy. 15, 16 years of your like, your whole adult life, pretty yeah. much. Oh, yeah. With these people. Yep. I don't know. It's kind of sad. Yep. Anything else? That, that was it. There will be like a little thing at the very end. Obviously. You wanted to put something at the end. I know. But that's actually a recording that I already did. It's from the San Diego Comic Fest. I was going to add that panel oh. to the very end so people can listen to that whole panel of me going, oh my God, why am I here? Okay. I guess that's all we got. A bia, 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 bia. That's all, folks. I guess I'll introduce myself. My name is TJ Shevlin. Um, I... Uh, Work for IDW Publishing, uh, ran the San Diego Comic Art Gallery, opened that with Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Ninja Turtles, ran uh, St. Mark's Comics for 10 years in New York City. Um, now I'm currently working for Super 7 here in San Diego. Uh, I manage their store, get to do some internal projects, uh, and it's pretty cool. And now let's get to people far more interesting than I am. <laughs> let's start with Let's Dixon. 
Well, uh, I'm Buzz Dixon, and I probably wrote your childhood. I, uh, <laughs> I, I worked on uh, projects starting in 78 with Filmation at Tarzan and the Super 7, and uh, went through with uh, Thundar the Barbarian, um, Transformers, G.I. Joe, all of the, the Sunbow series, and uh, through Batman, the animated series, and a variety of other things, including projects that I supposedly story edited, and I have no memory of <laughs> I am John Semper. I guess, are we on? I am, it's a little bit on. Uh, I'm John Semper. I, I, um, I've been writing a ton of animation, uh, probably uh, second only to Buzz. Uh, and uh, I started at Hanna-Barbera, uh, moved on to Marvel Productions, uh, moved on to, did work for Jim Henson, did work for George Lucas, uh, probably best known for Spider-Man the Animated Series, which Whoa! I did in the 90s. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's very sweet. Um, and um, I'm still working and, and still, uh, it's funny, I, I just did a show called uh, RoboZuna, which is on Netflix. I wrote about three episodes, co-wrote them with a, with a writing partner. And uh, the fellow who created RoboZuna just announced a couple of days ago that he's that a new RoboZuna toy is coming out. RoboZuna toy. Um, so that's uh, that's in keeping with the theme of this panel here. So anyway, here I am. Thank you for coming. Nice. Hey, my name is Thomas. I'm nowhere near as interesting as these two. Matt asked me to be here because I have been into animation for a long time. I appeared in the toys that made us uh, in the He-Man episode. I spend all my money at Super 7 buying <laughs> He-Man and uh, related stuff. So I'm here just to talk about animation, how it influenced me and uh, just that whole thing, like the toys. You know, speaking of Super 7, I stood in line for two hours, <laughs> two hours to get to get those fantastic uh, monster toys that you gave universal out. Universal Monsters. Yeah, the Universal Monsters. They did a Universal Monsters thing, uh, uh, convention exclusive. And uh, they're fantastic toys. They're really wonderful toys. Come see yep. me later. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, another version. No. Not Ooh. not the not those really rad die cut like crazy color ones, but uh, we do have new Universal Monsters figures in the store. You look at the classic monsters. Absolutely, including the mole people. And, uh, wow. Yeah, um, Mask of the Red Death, uh, Phantom of the Opera, so, yeah, wow. very cool. Very I'll talk cool. to you later. I got you. <laughs> Alright, so, um, yeah, let's kind of kick things off. So, um, obviously toys and cartoons go hand in hand. I mean, the only other thing that goes with them is, uh, breakfast cereal, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it seems like most of us here all kind of grew up at that point where they ended up starting to influence one another, uh, cartoons influencing toys toys influencing comic books. So um, let's start with uh, Buzz since the 80s is really where that kind of kicks off, um, especially with you on Transformers and G.I. Joe. Let's talk about your experience with that. Well, uh, can you hear me without the mic? Yes. Of course, yes. I'm a big mouth. Um, <laughs> very brief history on what happened. In the late 60s, uh, early 70s, there was a show called Hot Wheels that was based on the Hot Wheels toy. Um, somebody complained to the FEC about it, uh, FCC about it, the FCC agreed it was a half-hour commercial, they shouldn't have half-hour commercials, and the FCC put a ban on, to on shows for kids that were based on toys. You could have shows based on movies, on other TV shows, on, um, on books or magazines, couldn't have them based on toys. 
jump ahead to the Smurfs. The Smurfs came over here as these little tchotchkes, and they were huge. They were just like insanely popular. They were everywhere. And uh, I think it was NBC wished, oh gosh, could we only make a, a show based on these things? And someone said, well, you do know this was based on a Belgian comic book. Oh, really? <laughs> well, so they put the Smurfs into production, and when the FCC said, hey, hey, that's a toy, they go, oh no, look, obscure Belgian comic book, never printed in the United States, but pre-existing property. Okay, well, the people over at Hallmark are looking at this and going, well, we'd like to do some strawberry shortcake uh, specials. Uh, she's um, She was a greeting card before she was a doll. That's printed, okay, fine, that counts. Really, all it takes is a comic book. So then Mattel goes to uh, DC and says, we want you to do uh, Tom of Finland, com excuse me, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe comics. And um, they they put out a three-issue miniseries that bears no resemblance At to all. what got on the air. All, DC, all Mattel needed was a comic book that said He-Man. They got that, that was their fig leaf, they put He-Man on the air. Marvel does the same thing for Hasbro with the Transformer and G.I. Joe comics and at that point the uh, you know the FCC was in uh, uh, Reaganite hands and they said yeah do whatever you want and <laughs> that was the end of Saturday morning animation. So. Um, John do you want to start in uh, going into the 90s well you know sure. well, let's kind of let's kind of go a little bit with you names because you were at Hanna-Barbera um, yeah I know that there was um the Superpowers cartoon based off the Superpowers action figures and all that. Do you want to kind of talk about that and maybe move into the 90s a bit? Yeah, you know, um, piggybacking on, on uh, what we just heard, what Buzz just talked about. Um, the big problem with Hot Wheels, as I understand it, was that they were advertising the toy during the show. So that there really was no distinction between the show and the commercial. Um, and by the time I got in, I got in, in the early 80s, um, the, the thing was that you were not supposed to, in fact, even today, I believe, you're simply not supposed to advertise. Uh, so if, if I did the Spider-Man show, I did do the Spider-Man show, um, there could not be a, a commercial for the Spider-Man toy in the middle of the show. Um, and. So a lot of toy properties were done, um, uh, you know, sort of under that, you know, do a comic book first or base it on something that isn't, you know, that isn't a toy but will be a toy, or definitely you can't advertise during the course of the show. I did shows like Shirt Tales, which was, uh, which was a greeting card line, and and you know, and of course, spawn stuffed animals, and and uh, I did when I got to Marvel Productions. Marvel Productions had nothing to do with Marvel in a way. Uh, other than the fact that Stan Lee had an office in the back. Um, but uh, they were basically just an animation uh, outlet for uh, Hasbro. And so, you know, we were doing G.I. Joe Transformers. I worked on a, my, the very first show I ever ran was a show called Moon Dreamers, which was a toy line that um, came right in the middle of My Little Pony. Um, the great thing about the 80s, uh, and, and then I'll shut up for a while, but the great thing about the 80s was <laughs> that there was kind of this thing that was happening where toy companies would basically buy time on the air. There was so much airtime available, which I, I, I don't believe is, is the way it is now. But they would spend a huge amount of money, buy time, and then spend a huge amount of money and do an animated show. And 
they almost in some ways didn't care once the show was set up they almost kind of didn't care what the show was mm -hmm. so you know you get you get as a story editor you might get um, you know 80 episodes 80 half hours of some toy based show and you could kind of do what you wanted I, you know it's really sort of a tremendous creative freedom in a weird kind of way because you were really only dealing with the toy company and there were these gigantic orders of uh, episodes um, and uh, and so from a from a show running point of view it was really kind of a fun time um, but then I did segue into the 90s spider-man was a show that was designed to sell toys uh, and and I was sort of at the beginning uh, you know told you know we've got the spider slayers line go do an episode about spider slayers but I kind of fought against that because that really wasn't what Spider-Man should be. So that by the time um, we got past the first 13 episodes, uh, they were now making toys based on the stories I was doing. So I, it flipped completely. And um, if, you were, if you were here the other day, I told the story about the uh, origin of uh, the Spider-Verse, uh, which actually really originated with me and my series. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with it. And um, that was inspired by the fact, uh, and I, I gave a long explanation, I'll give you the short explanation today. Uh, it was really inspired by the fact that there were a number of toys that they came out with which were never in the show, and that bothered me. <laughs> you know, because as a kid, that kind of thing used to bother me. I once got a little Huckleberry Hound figure, and it was red instead of blue, and that really, that really angered Where me. Where does this guy belong? Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and as a kid, you feel kind of ripped off. So, um, in order to uh, avoid that, in fact, uh, I have the action figure right here. This is the, the very action figure that inspired the Spider-Verse, if I can find it. Um, oh, I might not have brought it. Yeah, there it is. There you go. <clears throat> this action figure came out right at the beginning of the series, and it really bothered me because I had no plan to use this character ever <laughs> in the history of ever. We had this conversation yesterday, yeah. And um, and yet I felt that for certain kids, they would buy this toy and then they would wonder, well, why didn't they ever see it on the show? So uh, I, I came up with a storyline. Um, and I also wanted to do the Scarlet Spider, which was very hot in the comic books at that time. But I didn't like the Scarlet Spider. So I thought, well, you know, I'll come up with something that will involve a lot of different Spider-Men. And then I could do all these things and get them all out the door at once and get them done. Uh, and that actually is the origin of the Spider-Verse. Uh, you know, it, it started with my show. Um, they won't admit to that at Marvel, but... <laughs> that, <laughs> They'd have to cut you a check. That was it, folks. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it, 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 the relationship between toys and, uh, and, uh, and, and animation, it, it, it's always been a kind of a weird, incestuous kind of thing. When we started at G.I. Joe, Hasbro would send us... Uh, a sheet saying we want an episode that has these six characters, these three or four vehicles, and these accessory kits, right down to make sure you mention the official G.I. Joe sandbags. And it's like, it's a military show. They're going to be tripping over sandbags. Thomas, what do you got for us, man? So I was one of the people that both of these guys definitely influenced my childhood. Um, he-Man was like probably the first big thing where I got the toys first. Didn't really even know the cartoon. Got, you know, my friend had the figures. I was like, oh, these are cool. Like, 
they were bigger than your Star Wars figures and stuff like that. So they, you know, they, they're more manly looking, got into those figures, ended up, um, I was already into comics. So you're part of the reason I spent so much money on figures of Spider-Man that, uh, you know, may or may not have appeared in the series and then eventually did. So mm -hmm. it was, uh, both of you, I don't, I feel like I should be on that side of the table. Like, cause I mean, these guys influenced me so much as a kid, as a collector. So definitely amazing. This is the Toy Biz catalog. Toy Biz was the company that had the, uh, the license to do the Marvel, uh, the Marvel toys. Uh, and, uh, at that time, X-Men, uh, and my one. show were on the air. Uh, and this was really what it was all about. In fact, my show, um, was in danger of not getting on the air. Um, when I came onto it, I, it, it didn't start out, you know, I, I didn't start out at the very beginning as the showrunner, but when they ran into trouble, they brought me on. And the problem was that if they didn't get a show on the air by November, then there was a toy line that was going to roll out featuring Spider-Man and all these villains, and no one was going to know who the heck Spider-Man was. You know, the, the, the toy buying generation was not going to have any idea who Spider-Man was, and Toy Biz was going to lose a lot of money. So, um, that was my mandate, was to get an episode of Spider-Man Spider on the air before, um, before Christmas. And um, we did, we got it out the door, we got an episode on the air in November, and then it wasn't until February that we were actually able to get the series up and running. Uh, so that's how heavily influenced, you know, we were by the whole toy situation. Toy situation. Yep. So then, um, let's talk about, um, for actually for the two of you, um, growing up watching, uh, cartoons where they're, um, for a lot of us, and I can certainly speak for myself on this, and I'm sure I can speak for Thomas on this one, uh, there was nothing like, not just watching the cartoon, but I couldn't watch it unless I was sitting with yeah, uh, that figure. Figure, yeah. You know, <laughs> like, if, if I were watching, uh, Transformers, I'd have my Bumblebee. If I were watching uh, wrestling on Saturday morning, I had to have my Bret Hart. Like all of these things. <laughs> so, um, what about you guys? Especially before that became a big thing, a regular thing. Uh, what did it for you guys with your cartoons? Like the cartoons you watched, I should say. Well, I'm I'm a bit older than John, so I grew up with. Uh, B westerns on TV, All right. and so I I had like I'm four or five years old, and I have a little cowboy outfit with chaps and a hat and a vest, <laughs> and I've got you know pistols. And the thing was, they did have licensed merchandising. You could get a specific Roy Rogers or Lone Ranger or whatever you wanted, but they were mostly the same toy with just you know a change in the logo. Um, and, and you really didn't need to have the specific toy to enjoy, you know, Hopalong Cassidy. You could sit there with any cap gun and have as much fun. Go. Yeah. Um, it really wasn't until the 60s that the merchandising started to move in. And of all places, it was magic because um, Mark Wilson, that was his name. Mark right? Wilson, yeah. Mark Wilson had a magic show and they would sell magic kits yep. at the end of the show to, to kids. And that was like the first time there was a really hard connection. Him and Jim Nagy, because Jim Nagy was this artist, he was kind of like yeah. Bob Ross, and he would come out and he would put up a blank sheet of paper and he would draw on it and then he would sell you the art set. And I bugged my parents for that, I got the art <laughs> set. And then two years ago, I find his, his show on YouTube 
but it's in high def. And so I'm watching it, and the son of a bitch had drawn, traced in the picture lightly, and you couldn't see it on the crappy TV in 1950. He's going in and zoom, 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 and telling, oh, he's a great artist. No, set it up. <laughs> Yeah. That's why you don't want to rip people off when you. When you <laughs> that's why you do the cartoon with the figures. Yeah. At least some some level of honesty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll put a twist on what you asked. You, know, mm -hmm. you were asking about watching the show, and I don't I really ever remember needing to have a toy near me when I watch the show. But <laughs> from the magic bag we from have bag. <laughs> from the magic bag, which actually is a Mattel bag. Yes. Yeah. I actually have to have a figure in front of me or art in front of me when I write a show. Um, it, there's just something about it, you know. Uh, usually, I would have the character line up on the wall in front of me, or I will have a figure. And when I started to do Spider-Man the Animated uh, Series, this was the only figure that I could find of Spider-Man. You know, it's hard to believe that there was a, once an era where people didn't think there was a lot of money to be made by merchandising Spider-Man. <laughs> but that was the era in which I started the show. This was the only figure I could find. It's a rather strange figure because it, it, it has no action whatsoever going on. That, just, <laughs> that was a company called Applause who did that. They also did a Batman, Robin, and Joker as well. Yeah. And I remember because I had the Batman and Robin when I was a kid because yeah. I had to have anything Robin. But then it felt weird, like, but I can't have a problem about Batman. <laughs> so it ended up becoming this vicious cycle that goes with that. But I have fond memories of those figures. This is, they don't move. This yeah. is the very figure that I had in front of me uh, 25 years ago, 20-something years awesome. ago, when I started writing Spider-Man. If you look at the old publicity photos of me, this figure is on my desk. Mm -hmm. And this was the inspiration. You know, when you do an animated show, you pretty much do it blind because... Um, you write the show and then you're not going to see any film for like nine months, uh, back, especially back in those pre-digital days. So, you know, we, we wrote the first 13 episodes before I ever saw a, an inch of film. And this is really your reality. You know, it's this and then the actors in the, in the recording booth. Uh, because you record the show about a week, uh, really about a week after you finish writing the show. Uh, so it's a radio show. So it's an audio drama, but this is all you have in front of you. And, I absolutely love having the toys in front of me when I write. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Uh, let's talk about um, something that I was always kind of curious about, and that's uh, because all of these shows, there was the possibility of them becoming the half an hour toy commercial, and by possibility, we all know that they were, but at least there was content to it. There, there, was, there was storytelling. Um, I know that on a few of the cartoons, there had to be um, a child psychologist that was approving some of these stories. I know that Rankin and Bass with... Uh, their Thundercats cartoon, they always had that, I think, on Silverhawks as well. For Because um, instead of like a moral at the end of Silverhawks, there would be a science lesson. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of neat. There would be some educational aspect to it. Um, was this something that you guys had to contend with at all in any way? Um, I know certainly Transformers and G.I. Joe, but um, do you want to talk a little bit about that aspect of it? Yeah, sure. Um, not on Spider-Man, but... Um there are certain Just cliffhangers galore on Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, and I was told not to do those, but that's another panel. Um, no, you know, uh, and, and I'm sure this has happened with Buzz. You, back in those days, you did whatever kind of show came along, you know, because that was that was what you did for a living. Uh, and I, I've done several PBS shows, 
Um, and the PBS, uh, I, I did uh, JJ the Jet Plane, and I did uh, Puzzle Place, which was a puppet show. And um, those shows tend to be uh, very top heavy with uh, with advisors and um, and and you know people that are there to to instill the educational lesson. <laughs> Uh, and um, yeah, that's a reality. I mean, that's definitely a reality. You know, what's interesting is when you look at CPW, uh, where they get government money to make the show, but the government has absolutely nothing to do with the toy license. So they get none of that Sesame Street merchandising. And, and that was kind of, that was the racket on Puzzle Place. I mean, those those people, the producers of Puzzle Place, they were in it for the dough. You, know, um, you mean it wasn't all educational? I, I, it wasn't sincere. It, it, let's just say it, it was an interesting little loophole that could be exploited. You know, if you came if you came up with a really successful uh, educational show for PBS, and it went ballistic commercially you kept all the commercial though That's awesome. and you did not you know you didn't have to share it with uh, with the old usa yeah so there you go how about you Mas? there was a show there was a group and i'm going to say q5 that may not have been the actual name of it but q5 was this um snake oil sales group that had convinced um i think it was abc it might have been nbc convinced them that they knew how to make good shows for kids that would be safe and wouldn't scare the kids and they were giving out all kinds of BS advice like on um, on the Ghostbusters show to to take the secretary's horn rim glasses and round them off because the sharp edges of the glasses might scare kids <laughs> and so the network gave them a, a show and they said alright develop a half hour show for us that we can put on Saturday morning and present as a perfect example of what the kids show should be and therefore all shows in the future will be based on this template and uh, I think they worked through Marvel on this. They did, I actually yeah. did a development on it. Yeah, uh, Little Clowns of Happy Town. Little Clowns of Happy Town. <laughs> that sounds and, scary. And uh, <laughs> you know, I, uh, Cheryl Scarborough and Katie Cooch were the story editors on it and uh, as a favor to them because I had known them from Ruby Spears I agreed to write an episode and it was one of the most difficult things I ever had to write because you couldn't have a clown throw a pie at another clown, but the clown could put the pie on the ground and the other clown could walk along and trip and fall face first into the <laughs> And I was working as whenever I could references to Uncle Pennywise in there and um, uh, they caught that unfortunately and took it out and I, I also had a Mad Max reference that uh, they intercepted as well. But it, it was awful, God. <laughs> uh, Thomas, this question's for you. Sure. So, and I feel like this one is, uh, really kind of dialed in for you considering as they were making the cartoons you were you know you consuming. and I were consuming yeah. the cartoons and consuming the toys um was there a cartoon that you remember uh and I have one as well so all right um, was there a cartoon you remember watching as a kid that didn't have a toy line that you wish it did Ooh. that's tough that's tough right I, I've got one immediately and I think Buzz knows what my answer is because it was the 80s I felt like everything had a toy line that I watched almost almost 
I mean, the, the only one that I can honestly think of right now, yes. there is a toy for it now that came out, okay. but back then there was not. It was Thunder of the Barbarian. We talked about that this morning, so Thunder is, is a great one there. Yeah, sure. that was probably one of my favorite shows that did not have an action figure, but yeah. one, you know, they've come out with one like five years ago. Yeah, so I'm happy now. Which is I have, my, I have my Thunder, Ookla, and, and Ariel. And Ariel sure. <laughs> um, Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, how did I forget? Dungeons and Dragons. I'm, I'm still a I'm ashamed. that as far as the 80s cartoons went, it's, it's aged the best um, yes. as far as... Um, as far as like actual weighted tangible story content goes, um, so much of that show was so good for that. And I was always sad that like as great as the game was and as much fun as that is, um, my introduction to D and D was not the game; it was the cartoon. And I wanted to have you know Avenger figure or a Hank or you know Diana and Eric, all of them. Yeah. And I always thought that that was kind of a missed opportunity on Hasbro. <sighs> You know, You're so right. That's is, a good call. That is yeah. a freaking good call. That was call. probably a licensing issue. Yeah. Yeah. TSR. I always thought that that one there, because loved it, so much fun. Yeah. Um, do you guys have a favorite toy to come out of any of the shows that you work on? That we worked on? Mm. And, any, well, any I, period? I can, give you, I can give you two answers. Sure. Uh, uh, well, one is Spider-Man, and I have all the Spider-Man toys, mm -hmm. because... I mean, it's Spider-Man, and Spider-Man was my favorite superhero. Yeah. But um, this doesn't directly answer your question. But I am right at the moment. <laughs> I'm right at the moment uh, collecting the plastic figures of Zorro that came out. Zorro, Walt Disney Zorro was just the best TV show ever when I was a kid, and it's actually a really good TV show. It still holds up really well. Um, and I never got the Zorro Marks playset. Marks was a big toy company back in those days, sort of like a rival to Mattel in a way. Yeah. And they used to come out with these playsets where you know the structures were made out of tin, and uh, and and the figures were molded plastic. And I apparently did not know as a kid that there was a Zorro uh, set. And I, I found out you know in my teen years when it was no longer an issue. But I'm right now collecting all the Zorro figures, and uh, I'm going to attempt to uh, build the entire, you know, have the entire set. That's awesome. So, yeah. I'm going to interject something here about the, the Marks figures, mm -hmm. because the DC uh, War That Time Forgot comic book series and the Del Golke Korak Son of Stone series. Yeah. Torak Son of Stone. That's Torak, yeah. We're both, I'm, I'm convinced, created by some comic book executive looking at kids playing with, on the one hand, their their army toys and their dinosaur toys from their Marks play sets, mm -hmm. and on the other hand, their cowboy and Indian toys with their dinosaur toys and the Marks play sets, and in both cases go, dinosaurs and soldiers would make a great comic book, and over here, dinosaurs and Indians would make a great comic book. And you ended up with these two lines of good comics that were, you know, based on that very thing. You know, inserting dinosaurs into something usually tends to be kind of a slam dunk when it comes to Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's favorable. You know, the X-Men with the Savage Land are a perfect yes. example. Yeah. The Dinobots are certainly a perfect yep. example. So anybody out there who's looking to create something really cool, just start dinosaurs. Just, yeah, dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> Sold. Exactly. Was it the... Uh, yeah, do you have a question, man? I know the Power Rangers like use dinosaurs a lot. There you go. Uh, there you go. That's true as well. From Masters of the Universe, the the Mighty Orbs. Yes. Right. Yeah. Those little dinosaur meteors. Yep.
but there's so many dinosaurs that jumps the shark yeah. Oh, like, plenty of times. That's, that's the one that I really feel like is the big <laughs> jumping of the shark there. I've got I've to bring up the name of a specific person, and it, since I'm going to end up praising him, I will, I will continue him by name. Donald Glute oh. uh, is a great writer. He's done the, uh, an enormous amount of animation work. But when you were story editing a show and Don came in to pitch, you waited until his fourth pitch because the pitches were going to be... Frankenstein, a dinosaur, <laughs> the mummy, and pitch number four was the good one. You know, so you go, pass, pass, that one, Don, go for it. Go. You know, he, he just made a movie. Frankenstein movie. A Frankenstein movie. <laughs> he finally got that chance. Well, the, he shuffled along to it. Yeah. Like Frankenstein, he got there. The got first there. one, the first movie he made, the first movie he produced was, was, um, uh, Dinosaur Girls or something like that. Dinosaur but it, Valley Girls. Dinosaur Valley Girls. There you yeah. go. The Lost Valley of bikini-clad girls facing a dinosaur. Win, win. <laughs> you know, talking about marks, um, th this is kind of be kind of going to be a cheap plug, uh, cheap plug for Super Seven. But um, we recently just did a um, so we have a line called Reaction Figures, yeah, and they're oh, so really good. cool three and three Great. quarter Star Wars Kenner style figures of every license that you can think of, and it's pretty boss. But one of the ones that we just did was, and I feel like you'll get a kick out of this because it's specific to that Mark's period, is the Great Garlu. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, have you guys ever seen the Great Garlu toy before, like the original? It's okay if you haven't. I'm not going to be mad. At you. <laughs> uh, so the Great Garlu was this really cool toy, like about so big, I guess I want to say. And his feet are gigantic because there's these wheels underneath it yep. so that he can walk and like not lose his footing. And it, it's so cool. And, and the design sense on it is so 1966 <laughs> between like, you know, that really cool, like kind of mid-century atomic sort of uh, packaging design, the leopard print on there, that, that weird kind of like pastel green, and it's just awesome. And what the hell was he? I don't even know. It doesn't he matter. Looked, you know, he, looked like, right. he almost looked like a reject from the Harryhausen Islands. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But it's this great, yeah. great toy, man. Yeah. Well, the one the one that got me at that time was was Robot Commando. Robot Commando, ideal, because it was the best toy ever. Yeah, it was this <laughs> giant robot that fired missiles and threw these great big cannonballs out of its arm. But yeah. the toy was advertised on TV. It was like a little mini sci-fi movie. Yeah, because there was a a construction set at the time where you could build skyscrapers. You would have girders and panels, and you could build a skyscraper. And of course, there were plastic toy tanks. And so the commercial is Robot Commando smashing the city and fighting these toy tanks. Yeah. Nice. And I'm sitting there going, yes, I, I got to have all of all that. Of I got to have the tanks, the city, the whole thing. But you know? do you remember what the coolest thing about Robot Commando was? Which what? Voice, Voice. activation. That's right. Yeah. He, had a, he had a wire and a microphone that yeah. wasn't really a microphone. And, and the little kid in the commercial went, fire! And the, the vibration of the voice, of the sound, activated something that yeah. would then travel through the wire and make the missile fire. fire. Yeah. And that was That's the coolest cool. thing yeah. ever. That almost you sounds know? like that, the, the microphone that doesn't really work as a microphone on the old Snake Mountain playset. Oh. It's just that weird like, metal, metal reverb. Yes, the reverb thing. But that. Like, that was really about it. Was oh, it? yeah. Oh yeah, that was pretty much I think what what they had. It's, yeah, it's probably what it was. I mean, that's high tech right there. <laughs> that was you know, that, for nineteen sixty whatever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so talking about ideal, then did you? Um, and this I think is kind of cool 
for what was coming out at the time as far as uh, kind of the revolution of Marvel Comics. And I know that this is animation, but it's all... It's all tied. How about the, uh, the ideal Marvel figures? And talk about that Red Huckleberry Hound. You've got these all-solid, hosed plastic Marvel figures. figures I remember. And it's like, oh, cool. Uh, the thing will be in red, but Daredevil will be in blue. And <laughs> Why? You know, and it's just kind of bizarre, but there's still something so charming about those figures. Yep. Yeah. Uh, was that a thing for you at all with those? For me? Yeah. No, actually, no. There were, they must have been, before, you know, after my toy buying yeah. time. Um, and I'm trying to think of what there was in terms of Marvel. I mean, there's the, um, was it the Aurora? Kits, yes, probably yeah. that would. I actually did build the Spider Man, yes, yes, yes. That's yeah. because, yeah. because they also had at the same time they had the monster kit, the, the monster toys, in that right. line. and they also had war figures because most of the Marks toys were about this big, but they they had a line that was about yay tall of um and pretty accurately done of American, British, German, and Japanese troops. So you know, you could. Kind of proto GI Joe styles there. Yeah, you know, and and speaking of kits, the closest we would get to having models from our favorite TV shows or toys would be uh, model cars. Uh, you know, you might be able to get the Green Hornet's Black Beauty or the Batmobile, um, and that's really it's strange to think that you know, I mean, the industry was so run by sixty-year-old men who had never had toys in their lives because they were all. <laughs> Well, they'd all come up during the Depression, and their idea of a toy was a lump of coal. And, uh, the stick in the hoop is where they got really lucky. Right, exactly. You, know, you were rich very, if you had that. Very upper class. Um, and so they, were, they never really thought much about toys. Toys were just, you know, there was no real interest in making money off of toys. They didn't understand the kids wanted toys. They didn't understand that there was money to be made there. So I think that was a huge, huge uh, moment of awareness when, when that came about. I have one funny toy story that, that I'd like to tell before um, we're done. So, Avi Arad comes out with oh lord this this thing. Uh, this is a Spider-Man web slinger, web firer thing. It's a sure. glove and a and a, a you know little mechanical thing, and it fires whatever the heck that is. The web ring, which has, <laughs> which has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with Spider-Man. This is the kind of thing that, that used to happen. And so I was in his I was in his office, I you know, which I was frequently back in those days. And I and uh, Mark Hoffmeyer was with me, so he can corroborate this. Mark was one of my staff writers and he's since gone on to do all kinds of wonderful things. Um, and uh, I said to Avi, I said, Avi, I said, this makes no sense whatsoever. Why don't you come out with a toy that has a little can of silly string right there? And you have, and then you'll have the actual Spider-Man, you know, press the button in the wrist, and it'll shoot a, a, a silly string, and and that would be a better toy. And you know, Abby, he looks at me and he goes, uh, he sort of has this far-off look, and he goes, uh, "No, no, we can't do that." He says, uh, "That would be a liability issue. <laughs> we can't, we can't do that." A year later. <laughs> Spider-Man Web Blaster. <laughs> Can of silly string. One of my firing the web. Yeah. <laughs> I created this toy. <laughs> so anyway. I, I want to say now, it I wasn't question. animation. Did you put that in the Spider-Verse? It was, it was comic books, and this is my favorite toy comic book tie-in. 
Hot Wheels, I think it was Hot Wheels, um, wanted to promote a toy, a, a Superman mobile and a Spider-Man mobile. <laughs> and they approached DC and Marvel respectively, and they said, we want it to appear in the comic book for X number of issues, we wanted every issue to be in there, and uh, would you do this? And of course, being the horrors that they are, both companies said yes. Um, and so they included it. And in, in the DC universe, um, Superman, something happens to him. He's robbed of his ability to fly and most of his superpowers. And so he builds the supermobile so he can drive around and fly and do all this stuff. You know, and, and it runs for like six months and then he gets his powers back and everything. He forgets about the car at that point. In um, Spider-Man, Spider-Man is swinging through the city and there is literally a guy leaning out a window waving a fistful of cash. Spider-Man, I have money for you! <laughs> and he swings over, what's this? And he says, we represent a toy company. We want you to drive this. And he shows him the prototype of the Spider-Mobile. And we'll sell toys on it. And we'll pay you to do it. And he says, you're going to pay me cash? Because, you know, Spider-Man Spider has had bad experiences yeah. with checks. <laughs> yes! All right. And then for six issues, he's driving the damn car. <laughs> you, know, you know what's... I don't know why I'm using this. Um, you know, uh, real fast, uh, and I'll get to you. You know what's funny about the Spider-Mobile? There's... Uh, so there's two, there's, well actually two, twofold, Spider-Mobile and the, the check thing. Um, the Disney store recently just released for their toy box line an actual 70s Spider-Mobile toy. And so my girlfriend who works at a Disney store, she comes home with it and she goes, I know you talk about the Spider-Mobile a lot. So I felt like you had to have it. And it's a, it's a fact, I really do talk about the Spider-Mobile a lot. Because it's the dumbest, best thing ever. Like when you see the word dumbest, the word best is in there because of the Spider-Man. <laughs> so I just, I, I adore that thing. But um, re, uh, a couple of years ago in the comics, there was a really great um, addressing of Spider-Man and the check thing. Uh, there's an issue of Avengers Academy where Hank Pym says, hey, you know, can you sub a class for me? We got these kids in here. They're on the break kids. They might be villains. You're going to help them. Peter being the first team superhero coming from the city. Oh, sure, I'll totally do it. The kids will love me. Kids don't love him. Uh, it, it, he's floundering in this class, doesn't know what to do. And so he's talking about, you know, well, you know, it was hard trying to be an Avenger because, you know, they would write checks, but I, I can't cash a check because you can't go to someone and say, hi, make it out to Spider-Man. Spider and the first thing one of the kids says, well, why didn't you open up an LLC? And so Spider-Man's just like, oh, wait, I'm sorry, what? Like, well, yeah, all you have to do is open up a, open up an LLC, you can funnel it through, it's all totally legal. Why haven't you done that before? You're supposed to be our teacher. It is the most perfectly encapsulated Spider-Man moment where he thinks he's being a mentor and, as usual, Get coming out on the other end of it. Uh, you had a question, man. It's for Buzz. Um, was there a lot of clap? Was there any collaboration or talks like with you and Marvel comics, especially like Larry Hama, about some of the G.I. Joe characters or the stories? Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because the interesting thing is that um, Larry and Sunbow West, which is the, the team doing the, the Joe series, we were aware of each other's work and we were very studious to avoid each other's work. And it was not because it was an attitude problem, but because we realized we were both working in different media. We had different audiences because his audience was a little <laughs> bit older and more sophisticated than our audience. 
and it would be futile to try to uh, coordinate the two storylines to mesh perfectly. So we, we basically recognize there's a comic book storyline, and independent of that, there is the, the um, uh, animated storyline. And every now and then, you know, we would get, you know, a signal from Hasbro that, hey, we like this thing that Larry did, you know, we're going to be incorporating it in the toy line. Okay, fine, we'll, we'll try to do it as close to what Larry did as possible. Uh, but there was no in-depth coordination because, as I said, it was just we didn't want to accidentally influence or pollute each other's efforts. In my early childhood, my parents would put eight gallons of gas into their cars, 20 gallons, hang them, and get a toy. In my kids' early childhood, I'd take them to a restaurant, find the kids, and get a toy. Have restaurants become the third leg of the table along with the toys and cartoons? Um, you go to McDonald's, Den even Denny's, yeah, yeah. and they get a, they, and actually, when, when my younger brothers were that age, we get like the Hamburg, Hamburglar and, yeah. and Grimace yeah. toys. Now they're from movie and TV shows. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, that's promotion. Yeah. Uh, and so we would welcome it because it would make kids aware of the fact, you know, I did, a sh I did Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock, the animated Fraggle Rock, and, um, Fraggle Rock was a was a puppet show that was on a very poorly covered, you know, coveraged, very l limited uh, viewership of a network called HBO <laughs> that nobody watched, and uh, that's why they gave Jim the opportunity to do Fraggle Rock. But nobody watched Fraggle Rock, and Jim was very excited when it moved to animation and to uh, NBC because it was the number one kids network. In America at that time so suddenly kids were going to be made aware of Fraggle Rock but there was no prior awareness and and the McDonald's tie-in was a huge part of you know the campaign to get kids to be aware of these characters of which they knew about which they knew very little so um, I think we welcomed it I mean I always did I always thought you know if you got a McDonald's campaign that was a pretty cool thing if I may, I'd like to close up. It'll take a moment to tell this story, but it's worth it. And I'm stealing this story from Mark Evanier, so credit where it is due. This is Mark's story, but it involves McDonald's and it involves the Crofts. Sid and Marty Croft, before they were, uh, you know, TV producers, they had done puppet shows and whatnot, and they had just done, I think, their first TV series, and McDonald's approached them to design McDonald Land for them. And so Sid and Marty, they got their team together, they went in, they designed McDonald Land, and the McDonald's people said, well, thank you very much, but we decided to go in a new direction. And they gave all the artwork to a new company that proceeded to imitate it, change the names, change the colors, and market it as McDonald's Land with Hamburglar and everything else. Sid and Marty sued McDonald's on the grounds that you were stealing, you're stealing our style. And McDonald's defense was, you can't steal a style. So this thing was wending its way through the courts, and they were, the Sid and Marty were being turned down everywhere. No, you cannot sue over stealing a style. Meanwhile, Sigmund and the Sea Monster is in production, and th there was a uh, studio that was right next to the old Formosa Cafe that occupied a full city block. And you have to imagine, it was kind of like a fort. There, there, the, the center area where the parking was was hollow, but all around it were studios, stages. 
And Sid and Marty had a cave set in one of these stages. And one weekend, they forgot to turn off a light in the back of the cave. And it stayed on for hours and hours and hours. And the fiberglass started smoldering. And the fiberglass smoke went up and it spread throughout the entire studio. Nobody was there because it was a weekend. And when it ignited, it virtually blew the roof off of the entire studio, set the entire thing ablaze. Luckily, nobody was killed, but it burned the whole thing down within a couple of hours. It was a major story at the time. Warner Brothers owned that, and they went ballistic. They were just screaming in rage, and they were threatening Sid and Marty, and they and Warner Brothers was in a position that when they said, we'll see you never work in this town again, they could enforce it. Meanwhile, their lawsuit had gotten all the way, they had been rejected every time, had gotten all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, yes, you may sue over somebody stealing your style, which meant you can go all the way back to the very first court and, and restart the case. That's all that meant. But it meant they had a chance to win. So here's Marty on the phone, and he's being screamed at by this Warner Brothers lawyer. And this guy comes in, this courier comes in with this uh, packet to be signed for him. He thinks it's another lawsuit. So he's got the phone here, he signs for it. He opens the packet and a letter and a check fall out. And the letter is from McDonald's. And it says this check represents our first, last, best, and only offer to settle out of court. And the check was a certified check for six and a half million dollars. <laughs> and this lawyer is screaming in Marty's ear. And Marty goes, if I give you six and a half million dollars this afternoon, will you call it square? There's a long pause. Do you have six and a half million dollars? Yes. <laughs> Even longer pause. Okay. <laughs> um, do we have any more questions from the audience? We got about five minutes, so we can uh, take one or two. <laughs> Marty insuring anything? You don't know Marty, do you? <laughs> Yes. I don't know. Um, so when John talked about having that action figure and he didn't want, you know, a little kid to feel ripped off, you know, uh, was the same thing with other television shows too, where, you know, the toy company would just do whatever the heck they wanted. And then, you know, the television show would be its own separate thing. Sorry, yeah. Or was it like, a connected thing as it changes throughout the years. So, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes connected and sometimes the toy company and the show were not connected very well. It depended upon the show and, and the toy company. Um, generally, if you were doing a show, you didn't want the toy company involved. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I once was in a, a pitch meeting for something called Star Fairies, which was a toy. And we were supposed to develop a show. And I said, you know, and, and we'll have a villain and some toy executive uh, over in the corner went, ah, you know, ah, no villain, you know. We, uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, 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 they were, they spun, yeah. yeah. When we were doing Inhumanoids, the toy line was canceled halfway through production. 
And we said, well, are we going to finish the show? And they said, yeah, I mean, we've already bought the time and everything. He says, well, what do you want us to do? And they said, as long as we don't get a complaint from the FCC, do whatever you want. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> we had a question back there? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that happens to me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, did the, uh, what I was about to say, did the toy companies uh, have any say of how the uh, TV shows were written? Well, uh, sometimes they did, yeah. but, but sometimes they didn't, and you really didn't want them to. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they did, and, you know, you get lots of notes. Um, I don't remember if we got anything on Moondreamers. I think mostly we just had to, we had to uh, have all the characters in there. And, you know, I, I think the designers got more notes than we did. Yeah. Um, but it, it really depended upon the situation yeah. and the toy. The secret to being a successful producer is to find talented people and get out of their way. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, the, that was the great thing about Jim Henson. Yeah. Jim would just let you do what, what, whatever you wanted to do. If he believed in you, he'd let you do whatever you, you wanted to do. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts? We'll start down with uh, Thomas. No, I, I mean, I just always enjoyed everything about what these guys have done. Uh, I have a whole wall full of He-Man, seven, you know, seven figures. So I'm just happy to be here. I, these guys have done so much. So I, that's all I have, really. Gentlemen. Uh, this is my last panel of the day. I've had a wonderful time at this convention. I always have a wonderful time. You guys have all been great. Thank you so much for coming. Um, and I want to thank Matt Dunford, who was here a little while ago. He was here a second ago. Yeah, Matt, uh, you know, I, I'm here really because of Matt and his love for Spider-Man. Uh, and, uh, and I always have a great time here. So that's, that's my final, final, final thought. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, TJ. You're all, you're, you're yeah, also, you, it's TJ. always great having you as a moderator. I, I will echo exactly what John said in every degree, both for the convention itself and for Matt's efforts. And, um, it, I, I have said this several times. So if you've heard me say it before, I apologize. But when I got into fandom, as a young teen, uh, we knew about the classic EC comics bullpen. And I thought to myself as a teenager, I would love to be involved with a bunch of cool guys and a cool project that people remember years and years later. And thank you. I got my wish. So thank you all very much. Thanks for being a part of this, guys. Um, and I've told you guys before many times, uh, my enemies love to be able to have these conversations with you guys and just you know, uh, hang out and talk really cool stuff and, and you know, invite you guys to be here for it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Don't forget to check us out at comicreliefpodcast.com or you can visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash comic relief podcast or go to our YouTube channel www.youtube.com forward slash comic relief podcast. And finally, there is our Twitter page, which is twitter.com forward slash comic relief P-O-D-C. I'd like to give a special shout out to Travis Richards, who did the music for the Comic Relief Podcast. Visit his website at www.travisarichards.com.
Hello? Hello? Say something. Hi! I have no Sumblo. I, I think it is Sumblo. I think that's the name of the company. Google it on the phone real quick. Okay, I'm gonna Google it, but... Look up Thundar the Barbarian. I don't know if I should be Googling Sunblo. Make sure you look it up as S-U-N, not S-O-N. That might be a different website. You're actually looking up Sunblo. Why not look up Thundar the Barbarian? Okay, whatever. Just keep on talking. T-H-U-N-D-A-R-R. She doesn't know how to spell barbarian, so she stopped at bar. Stop! <laughs> Just go to the first wiki page. I don't think this is good. Like, they're not Listen, even listening. I'll edit. That's what editing is for. There is a company called Sumble. Look it up on your phone. I'm not looking it up. All I'm right. not putting it on my interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> it's Monday, so there's a new Vanderpump. And it's also Monday, April the 1st. April Fool's Day. Hopefully, whatever you read on the internet, you did not fall for today because today is the last day to trust anything on the internet because it's April Fool's. Every company out there puts out a joke like, hey, order this exclusive, and then you click on it, and it's like, April Fool's, we got you, Saga. That's what it's like. Really? They say that? I, we got you, Saga. Well, last year, what I did for NewWarriors.com as an April Fool's joke is I got a picture of Fabian in front of a bunch of the new warriors, and I made this fake interview about how he's going to be doing a limited series of the new warriors. And if it does well, they're going to do a whole new series of it. I, I got that. you, sucker. Yeah, I got a couple people on that one. So this year I did not do any April Fool's jokes on any of my websites, uh, the 15 websites that I have. Um, anything else? That was it. So stay tuned after this. There's going to be a little um, end bit of the San Diego Comic Fest panel that I'm going to add. And um, go to comicreliefpodcast.com. You can see a recap of the WonderCon stuff. And if you go to our Facebook page, um, there's like 60 pictures I took while we were at WonderCon, including pictures of hanging out with Joe Hill.